Welcome! I'm Yuan Nielsen. And I'm Lincoln Murphy. And this is Impact Weekly. We're here to help you make your customers successful. Each week, we answer your most pressing customer success management questions by relying on our years of experience with companies around the world. Let's get this going. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's time for another Impact Weekly. This week, it's just me, Lincoln. Uh, Johan is on a well-deserved break. So we have a new question, so let's get into this. How can CSMs effectively drive product adoption and engagement for solutions that address necessary but unattractive tasks without resorting to things like scare tactics? Now, this question is actually a generic version that's derived from an email we got from a listener with a very specific situation in mind. And I think we're going to invoke Irish novelist James Joyce here when we say in the particular is contained the universal. So I think if we talk about the particular situation that was described to me in the email, even though the exact situation may not be the same as yours, I think understanding the context of the question, understanding what's going on there, you will actually find that you probably run into similar situations. So Chuck's original email said, I work in regulatory compliance, specifically HIPAA and healthcare compliance. So that's in the United States, HIPAA is a healthcare privacy law. Chuck says, we have a SaaS solution for tracking, which covers the entire rule set. The product is solid, but the topic is something you'd rather go to the dentist than discuss 98% of the time. The problem. This requirement for our customers ends up being a backburner project, and adoption engagement can be low at times. This is a problem because, by law, they need to complete our process. It's why they come to us in the first place. Low use equals liability for everyone involved, and no one cares for that. So Chuck says, in your opinion, what is the best approach to driving product adoption for something people know they desperately need, but would rather be hit in the head with a hammer than addressing without being scary about it? Like, we don't like to use, quote, the government is going to get you as a tactic. Okay, so very specific situation. You may not work in regulatory compliance. You may not work in healthcare. Uh, you may not have a product or service that um, if the customer doesn't use it, they might face sanctions or fines or even jail time. But we all have a situation, probably multiple situations on a daily basis, where a customer needs to do something in order to achieve success, and for whatever reason, they're not doing it. That is, of course, super common. So I think we have some really interesting things to unpack from Chuck's email right out of the gate here. This idea of avoiding the discussions about the potential risk and the downside of not taking a particular action. I absolutely understand sort of the, the human nature aspect of wanting to avoid bringing up the potential for negative outcomes. Um, I know that that's not always the most pleasant 
topic of discussion. But I think we need to start with a fundamental understanding that in customer success, we are not here to make our customers happy. Now, a lot of people, when I say that, uh, will often feel some way <laughs> because that sounds like what I'm saying is we're here to make our customers unhappy. And, and that's not true. We just can't solve for our customers' happiness. And in fact, in order to ensure that our customers are doing what they need to do to be successful, sometimes we have to push them to do things. And sometimes that doesn't make them super happy. And that's okay. If you have a misconception about what customer success is, that it is only about making sure that the customer is emotionally happy, then of course you're going to want to avoid any sort of discussion about the downside of not taking a particular action. But if you understand that your job is to actually make them successful and you recognize that they are not doing the things necessary to be successful, then you recognize that your job is to have a discussion around the fact that they're not taking a particular action and that they will fail to meet their desired outcome. So avoiding discussions about potential risks and the potential downside of not taking actions is really the opposite of customer success. But what's really interesting, and I go back to something Chuck said, by not taking these actions, it's a problem because by law, our customer needs to complete this process. It's why they came to us in the first place. So if we are avoiding talking about, in this case, the fact that they're not going to be in compliance, that they could be fined, they could be sanctioned, they, you know, whatever the, the, the potential negative outcome is. If we're not going to talk about that, if we're going to avoid that, we are literally avoiding talking about the entire reason we exist in their world. Like, think about that. As a vendor, as a software vendor, in this case, our customer came to us to use our product to achieve compliance. They recognize that if they don't achieve compliance, they're going to get in trouble. And yet we want to avoid talking about any of that. It doesn't make any sense. The customer knows why they bought our product. They know what they need to do. And yet we want to avoid that. We just need to get away from this idea that we're here to just make our customer happy and that we shouldn't have conversations that involve the frank discussion of the negative ramifications of not taking a particular action. It's not scare tactics. It's not trying to invoke a fear response. It's just the reality of the situation. If you don't do these things, you are not going to be in compliance and that can have these negative outcomes. Like that's just the way it is. Now, if you're working with customers that aren't in a compliance situation and let's say you have a CRM and they want to make more money by making more sales and they're going to use your CRM, they want to add $200,000 in new revenue by the end of the quarter. If they are not on track to do that because they are not doing the things that, that we agreed through a joint accountability that they need to do in order to be successful to reach that goal, then you need to intervene to make sure they understand that they are not on track to hit that goal and they need to take corrective action. Like that is your job as in customer success. If, if you chose not to do that, if you saw that they were not on track or that they've, they've kind of gone in a different direction, 
and they are not doing the things. They're not working through the progress milestones they need to work through. They're not making the sales that they need to be making in order to achieve that revenue number by the end of the quarter. And you see that and you choose not to intervene. You're not doing customer success. I'm not saying you're not working hard. I just don't know what you're doing (laughs) because it's not customer success. So, you know, avoiding talking about the very reason that a customer decided to be your customer makes zero sense if you look at it from that perspective. But I think this goes back to just this underlying idea of difficult conversations. How many times do you talk about, maybe just to yourself, maybe with your peers, or maybe with your head of customer success, you talk about difficult conversations or challenging conversations. You talk about these conversations that you're going to have with your customer that are, you know, unpleasant, um, where you're going to have to tell them, you know, something negative. How many times do we talk about that? How many times do we say something like that in, in, a, in one day? Probably a lot. Now, the companies that I work with and the, the students that come through Impact Academy, we really try to emphasize the fact that there's no such thing as a difficult conversation or a challenging conversation. There's just a conversation. We have to stop putting a negative spin on the, the conversations that we're going to have with our customers, especially considering the fact that what we generally position as a difficult conversation is very often the most important conversation that we need to have with our customer. It's, it's the conversation I'm going to have with them that, that tells them you are not on track to hit your goal. It's the conversation we're going to have about the fact that if they don't do the things that they agreed to, that they're not going to be in compliance by the deadline. This is the most important conversation that I'm going to have with them. If I have positioned it as something negative, as a difficult conversation or a challenging conversation, the likelihood that conversation gets delayed or frankly avoided goes up substantially. But if I can just look at that as just another conversation that I'm going to have with my customer, then it takes so much of the pressure off and so much of the overarching negativity that's just weighing us down. It just kind of takes that all away. So, you know, I, it really is a mindset issue here. It really is just the way that you talk about these conversations. And as a CSM, you can, you can sort of try to work on that yourself, right? So the conversations you're having with yourself, the conversations you're having with your peers, just stop talking about these conversations as being difficult or challenging. But often it's not just you, the CSM, it's your head of customer success. The head of customer success talks about difficult conversations. I've even seen heads of customer success have had a weekly stand-up. Who can talk about a difficult conversation that they had this week? Almost making it a badge of honor. And I would encourage any head of customer success that's listening to this, or if you're a CSM, send this to your head of customer success and have them listen to this episode. I would encourage you to not talk about conversations that your CSMs are having with their customers as difficult or challenging or anything like that, because you are positioning these conversations that are, like we said, probably the most important conversations you need to have with your customers. You're positioning these conversations as something negative. So you are creating a culture of difficult or challenging conversations when in fact, we should be talking about them in a different way. So as a leader, you have a responsibility to create a culture that doesn't involve any sort of negative connotations around these very, very important 
conversations that our, our CSMs need to have. So that's more of a mindset situation, a cultural situation within the organization. But there's something we can do that's more process-driven, more, more structural here. And that is to talk about the different stakeholders that are involved in, in these types of situations. And so looking at what Chuck is talking about in, in the original email, we have somebody that is going to be doing this compliance work that would rather go to the dentist or be hit in the head with a hammer <laughs> than actually do this work. I, I think we can infer from that that this is just probably unpleasant. But there's other things at play here too, which is, is this new project to move us into compliance? Is this just a new priority that this stakeholder has now been, been saddled with? you know, in addition to all of their other top priorities that they have to do. So we do know that that happens, right? Again, whether it's something like this with compliance or, or just really any, any situation, we know that we have decision makers that ultimately buy the product. And then we know that that product will very often get delegated to someone else to actually do the execution. So if we're talking about compliance, we might be talking about a, C, a CEO or a CFO COO, or maybe even a chief compliance officer, you know, they, they understand how important it is to be in compliance. They understand the law, they understand the deadlines. And so they seek a solution to, to help them, you know, move into compliance. And then they make the purchasing decision and then they give it to somebody to actually go execute. Maybe it's an individual contributor, maybe it's a team, but that person or those people that are going to be executing, they didn't see this coming. They didn't know about it. They feel blindsided. They're again, saddled with a yet another new top priority that's competing with their other priorities. And, you know, something's got to give. And so we often see in a situation where they're not going to do it right now. They'll probably wait till the last minute. It will get done probably most likely, but it's, it's going to be stressful in a compliance situation, you probably don't want to wait till the last minute because there may be things that come up. So we know that this happens. So what, what can we do? Well, there's two things that we can do that will help you. The first thing I, I want you to think about is to kind of draw a line in the sand right now and say, any new customers coming in or, or really any new prospects we talk to, let's apply this to their situation. If they're already a customer, this isn't going to help, but this will help our future customers. I want you to get with your head of customer success and figure out how to bring this to, to sales. But essentially what we want sales to do is to, to tell their prospect. So again, the decision makers, the C-level executives that are you know, making this decision to buy this product, uh, that, are, you know, that they're, they're then going to delegate it to, to somebody else to execute. We want them to bring in the execution team earlier in the buying process. And if it makes economic sense to maybe even set up a meeting with them and, and you, the CSM, so that you can, you can talk to them about what the first 30, 60, 90 days are going to look like, answer any questions they have. But we want to bring the execution team into the process early, maybe even you know, have them evaluate the product, um, offer their opinion, um, whatever. We want them to have some feeling of ownership. We want to reduce feeling blindsided by this whole thing. And if we can do that earlier in the process, then it's going to be much smoother sailing once, once the deal actually closes. And so the way that sales can get the prospect to do this is to simply say, look, in our experience, 
having your execution team or the person doing the work involved in this, it just helps them have that ownership and it, it makes things you know work a lot smoother. It's not really a hard sale. And for the, you know, it might be a harder sale to get the salesperson on board with this, but that's where you need your head of customer success and maybe even your CEO to talk about why this is super important because we need them to actually do the work. So that's something you can do with your, with your sales team, do that earlier in the process. So we want, we want to kind of move things upstream. So for our existing customers or customers that came in after having gone through that process of being uh, included in the buying process, when we're doing a kickoff with, with the execution team going through onboarding, um, what we want to do is understand that the person that we're working with is not necessarily the person that bought the product, right? This is now an individual contributor or a team that has been tasked with doing this work. They hopefully went through a process where they can feel some level of ownership. But even if they didn't, if you're talking to an end user, an administrator, whoever your point of contact is now, that was given this task, what you should do is try to get to know them a little bit. So before you start with, you know, this is how we're going to do this, get to know them. So if I was working in a compliance situation with Fred in accounting, I say to Fred, um, looking at your, your email signature, it looks like you are, um, you're in the accounting department. Do you normally work on HIPAA compliance? No, I don't. Uh, do you do any sort of compliance work? N Outside of just making sure that, you know, what we do from a generally accepted accounting practices standpoint and, and all of that, no, I don't really do any compliance work. Okay. So I'm assuming that this was given to you on top of all of the other work that you need to do uh, on a daily basis. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So Fred, I'll tell you this. Um, I don't know if it makes you feel any better, but basically a hundred percent of the people that I work with are in your situation. I can think of maybe two or three situations in my entire experience here where I worked with somebody that was maybe like a compliance officer or, uh, or, or did that kind of work. It's almost always given to somebody else. Maybe they're in operations, they're in accounting, uh, what have you. So again, I don't know if that makes you feel any better, but your situation is not unique. Um, and then, you know, they'll say, oh, okay, I guess, <laughs> I guess that makes me feel a little bit better. You say, well, the reason I say that is what we've done is we've created a plan, taking into consideration the, the person that, that is going to be doing the work is this isn't their full-time job, that this is going to be something that's competing with their other priorities. And we, we put together a plan that will be as least disruptive to your daily work as possible. So we've broken down all of the steps you need to take in order to reach compliance by the deadline into small chunks that you can do in 15 to 30 minutes each day. For the first week or so, you'll probably spend about 30 minutes a day until you get really comfortable with our software. But as you get more comfortable with it, you get faster, you'll probably spend closer to, to 15 minutes each day. And if you do this, you kind of follow our plan, you'll reach compliance in, in about 30 days, which is great because you'll, you'll then have another 60 days before your deadline to solve any issues that might come up. This is certainly not something you want to wait till the last minute to do. So we have this plan where you can you know, spend 15 to 30 minutes a day. Does that sound like something that's doable given everything else that you do? Of course, you can't do this if this isn't reality, but that type of situation is so powerful because the person that you're working with is going to feel heard. They're going to feel seen. 
you're not coming in and saying, our product is the most important thing in your world. You know, we're coming in and saying, I know you were saddled with this new priority. You are not unique in that situation. Pretty much everybody we work with is in that situation. So we've created a plan that will help you be successful and still allow you to do all of the rest of your work. That is understanding the humans that we're working with. We know that the decision maker made the decision and this was delegated down. And now the person doing the work has to, you know, make this fit into their, all of their other work. And if we can take that, make them feel heard, make them feel seen, provide a plan, uh, they're going to be in a much better place. If, if they are blindsided and everything is just chaos and we come along and we say, we're the most important thing in, in your life right now, you need to do all of this. They're just, it's just not going to work. I was listening to an interview with a pediatric neurosurgeon the other day, and it was fascinating and, and just, you know, overwhelming. Um, this is a person that literally operates on the brains of very small children. And they were talking about how, when, uh, they have to give a diagnosis to the parents of the child that the parents just instantly spiral into this, this just world of chaos, right? They're scared. Um, they're, they're upset. Um, they're just in all of the, all of the emotions, right? And everything just feels absolutely chaotic. And the doctor said they will give the diagnosis and then immediately lay out the plan. Now, conventional wisdom might sound, might be something like give the diagnosis, then let it kind of sink in and let things calm down. And then, and then we can come together and talk about the plan. What this doctor found is that that doesn't work because the parents are not going to calm down. It's not going to uh, get better. Um, and so the doctor said that he gives the diagnosis and immediately lays out the plan. We're going to take your child into the operating room. We're going to remove the diseased tissue. Then we're going to start uh, chemical intervention. And then we're going to uh, start uh, physical therapy. And like, this is going to happen over, you know, this, this timeline and this is the plan. So here we go. Now, does that change the fact that the parents are scared? Does it change the fact that everything is, is chaotic, uh, and, and like, you know, just unknown. And so, no, the, it doesn't change the reality on the ground, but what it does, I thought this was so powerful. It provides a little bit of peace. The doctor said there's peace in the plan. It reduces, it doesn't eliminate, it reduces some of the chaos. It reduces some of the fear because a lot of the fear comes from the unknown. There's still fear. There's still sadness. There's still emotion. But there's peace in the plan. And I just thought that was so cool. Now, I'm not equating what we do in customer success to, uh, to, to, be, to brain surgery. But the common denominator here is that the doctor works with humans and we work with humans as well. And so if we can understand why humans do what they do, we can, we can be better at helping them do what they need to do to be successful. So if we can understand psychology, we understand how things work, 
we can work with that to ensure that our customers are doing what they need to do to be successful. So I thought that was really powerful. There's peace in the plan. So what are three practical things that we can do right now uh, to, to solve for this question of, of getting customers to do things uh, when they really just, it's not something that they want to do. So number one, involve the execution team early in the process. You know, try to get, try to bring them in even during the buying process so that they have a feeling of ownership and they're less likely to feel blindsided and, and overwhelmed. Number two, share a plan specific to the people that are doing that work. Recognize that the, the people that buy the product and delegate it to, to the people doing the work um, may not have any idea of what it actually takes to get this done. And so if you can come in and talk to the, the execution team or the person doing the work, as if you understand how this fits into their world, they will feel seen, they will feel heard, and they will be much more likely uh, to, to do uh, what, what is necessary to be successful. Again, remember, there's peace in, in a plan. And three, no more difficult conversations. They're just conversations. We have to reduce and remove and eliminate the negative connotations and the negative positioning of, of what are generally the most important conversations that we can have with our customers. That's it. Over and out. Hey, thanks for listening. Do you want to bring your customer success to the next level? Check out Impact Academy. We have training programs for customer success managers and for leaders in customer success.